Lord, sometimes things happen when we read your word. Sometimes it's scripture that we've read before and we're familiar with it. And our mind shuts down because we think we know what it says. And I pray that you'd give us fresh ears and an open heart today. Lord, other times our mind can be distracted by this or that. And I pray that you would enable us to focus today. And we ask that you would remove from our hearts and also, Lord, even from the room, the ambiance, any distractions that would keep us from what you want us to hear and what you want us to experience today. Lord, let your word have full impact in our hearts. We ask you, God, that you would lead us and direct us in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. Well, we've been doing a series on the gifts of the Holy Spirit, and we're going to take a jump today. We've spent a number of weeks looking at Ephesians chapter 4 and the five leadership training gifts that are there, apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, teachers. Now we're going to move to 1 Corinthians 12, and we're going to look at the gifts of the Holy Spirit. I know some of you, I mentioned in the beginning, have taken those gift tests where they have all 27 gifts from uh, Romans 12 and 1 Corinthians 12, and they pull gifts from here and there and put them together. But I, I assure you that in each one of the sets of gifts, they are different by their nature. It hasn't escaped uh, many theologians over the years that we have three sets of gifts that are outlined in Scripture. We also have a Godhead, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And it almost seems like there is a connection between uh, the persons of the Godhead and the three different kinds. These are definitely the gifts of the Holy Spirit. They're different than uh, the gifts in Ephesians 4. In Ephesians 4, we get a clear idea that these gifts are given to some people, that not everybody has one of those leadership offices. But in 1 Corinthians 12, it's the exact opposite. Uh, it gives us the idea that we can, as the King James says, the Holy Spirit divides severally meaning at least three or four gifts to each person as he wills. And I believe this, this scandalizes some people when I say this. I know people that have been used in all nine gifts of the Holy Spirit. Because as we're going to see, we're going to look today at the nature of the gifts, and we're not going to mention the nine gifts. Uh, we'll get into that in weeks to come. And we've got some guests coming, like Vijash and Nilesh, and we'll just take a break, but we'll keep moving on those other weeks. But as we look at 1 Corinthians 12, you get the idea that anybody who is filled with God's Holy Spirit, anyone that has been given the manifestation of the Holy Spirit, can be used in any gift at any time. Why? Because the gifts don't belong to you. You are filled with the Holy Spirit, and you belong to the Holy Spirit, and He chooses what to do through you if you cooperate with Him. It's totally different. So people to walk around saying, well, you know, if you have a gift of healing, why don't you walk in the hospital and, and, you know, everybody can get... Well, it doesn't work that way, okay? Jesus didn't even do that, which is very interesting. And I want to point out that Jesus in his hometown, it says he could not do many miracles because people had a heart of unbelief. That was the Son of God. Faith is an issue. Believing is an issue. So may the Lord give us faith and may we have the ability to believe and understand. But I want to start with a uh, statement from um, a guy that I love. We've done uh, some of his books here, Francis Chan. Some of you know uh, the works, some of the works that he's done. The book, The Forgotten God, really caused a stir in evangelical circles several years ago when it came out. The Forgotten God is all about the Holy Spirit. Why? Because some people don't really have a trinity or a trinitarian God or a triunity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. They have Father, Son, and the Bible. Holy Spirit's a little bit too scary for them. 
So what they've done is they've taken the parts of God they like and they leave it. We can all relate to a loving father, at least some of us can. And certainly in some churches, there's not any Trinity at all. It's just all Jesus. Okay? I'm all in favor of Jesus, but unless we understand Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, uh, this is very important. So I want to read something that he wrote. Uh, This is an interview after his book came out, and he got a lot of criticism from people. Uh, This is an interview in Charisma magazine. He said, I received a lot of questions about why I titled the book The Forgotten God. Some thought it was a bit extreme. I don't think so. From my perspective, the Holy Spirit is tragically neglected and for all practical purposes forgotten. That's why I have a book and a film on the subject. While no evangelical would deny his existence, I'm willing to bet there are millions of churchgoers across America who cannot confidently say they've experienced his presence or action in their lives over the past year, and many of them do not believe they can. Perhaps we're too familiar and comfortable with the current state of the church to feel the weight of the problem. But what if you grew up on a desert island with nothing but the Bible to read? Imagine being rescued after 20 years and then attending a typical evangelical church. Chances are you'd be shocked for a whole lot of reasons, but that's another story. Having read the scriptures outside the context of the contemporary church culture, you would be convinced that the Holy Spirit is as essential to a believer's existence as air is to staying alive. Let me stop there and say this. When Jesus told his disciples in John chapter 14, it's better for you that I go away. And if I go away, I'm going to send you the Holy Spirit, the comforter, the word he used in the Greek, parakletos, the one who accompanies you, who will go with you. What Jesus was saying is I can be with 12 of you in a very quality way around the campfire, but I'm going to leave and I'm going to send the Holy Spirit who can be with millions of believers And horror of horrors to the kingdom of Satan when all of a sudden a bunch of people are empowered by the same spirit that worked through Jesus are walking around the world full of the fruit of the Holy Spirit, full of the power of the Holy Spirit doing the works of Jesus. Back to Francis Chan. He says, having read the scriptures outside the context of the contemporary church culture, you'd be convinced that the Holy Spirit is essential to a believer's existence as heir is to staying alive. Isn't that true? You would know the Holy Spirit led the first Christians to do unexplainable things, to live lives that didn't make sense to the culture around them, and ultimately to spread the story of God's grace around the world. There's a big gap between what we read in Scripture about the Holy Spirit and how most believers in churches operate today. In many modern churches, you would be stunned by the apparent absence of the Spirit in any manifest way, and this, I believe, is the crux of the problem. Whole denominations have been built around specific beliefs about the Holy Spirit. I know people who have lost jobs at churches and Christian colleges because of their beliefs about the Holy Spirit. There are churches in the Akron area that tell their leaders, and I'm not reading this from his, I'm taking a break from the quote here, churches that ask people to sign a paper that they will not speak in tongues, they will not prophesy, they will not be used in various gifts of the Spirit if they're going to be a leader in that church. Listen to this. This is Francis Chan. He says, I even had a girl break up with me while I was in seminary because we believed differently about him. It's not one of those issues that's easy to float over. This is especially true if you belong to a particular camp with a specific belief or bent, which is why I ask this question. Are you willing to pursue truth in your journey to know and be known by the Holy Spirit? That's a question for us. Are you willing? Do you have enough humility to be open to the possibility that you've been wrong in your understanding of the Spirit? It's easy to get into defensive mode 
where you quickly disagree and turn to proof texts and learn arguments to defend what you've always believed. Rather than guarding your perspective, consider taking a fresh look at the familiar passages to make sure you haven't missed something. You may end up with the same theology you always had, but maybe you won't. Don't let your views be determined by a particular denomination or what you've always been told. Within the context of relationship with other believers, seek out what God has said about His Spirit. Open up your mind and your life to the leading of the Spirit, regardless of what others may think or assume about you. So here's the question. Isn't that a powerful quote? I felt like I needed to read the whole thing because I want to set a a base for where we are. It's okay if you disagree with me, but you need to contend with God. Really, he's the one that you need to contend with. If he's speaking to your heart, you need to open up. I've got to tell you, God will never do anything that is wrong. But why are, so people, why are people so worked up when you start talking about the Holy Spirit? For most of the people that get worked up, by the way, it's, it's people that were raised in a religious background that they've been taught to be afraid of one of the members of the Godhead. Imagine that. The most gentle, loving, and yet powerful Holy Spirit. And he wants to touch your life. And he doesn't want us to be afraid of it or afraid of him. He's not an impersonal force. We're talking about God. With all the personality, the same as the Father and the Son. So let's ask the Lord, Lord, open our hearts and minds. Everything you have for us, God, open our hearts and minds today. Give us the ability, Lord, to lay aside those things that maybe we've held on to that are just not about, not the truth. We thank you, God, in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, before we talk about the individual gifts, I want to talk about the nature of the gifts of the Holy Spirit. The gifts of the Holy Spirit are available to any believer who is full of God's Holy Spirit. In fact, any person can manifest any or all of the gifts of the Holy Spirit as the Spirit works through them. I know that because we're going to read in a moment that that's essentially what 1 Corinthians chapter 12 says. So unlike the other gifts, the gifts of the Holy Spirit can be at work in any believer at any time as God directs. What's the most important gift? It's the gift you need at that moment. If you need discernment, you want discerning of spirits. That's the gift that you want at that particular moment. We find out later in 1 Corinthians, and we'll talk about this when we talk about tongues, uh, there are some people that focus in on one gift, like the Corinthian church, and you can speak in tongues all day. If somebody needs to be healed, you just need to be quiet and go pray healing over that person. Does that make sense? I mean, we can get hyper-religious in any way we want, and it's not going to really serve God. We need to be obedient. In a way, the Holy Spirit has us rather than us having Him. In a very real way, we belong to the Holy Spirit rather than thinking that the gifts belong to us. Does that make sense? It's a divine partnership. And God, by the way, is always a senior partner. He's bigger than us. His perspective is somewhat larger than ours. So 1 Corinthians 12, and I'm going to read this in the NIV. It says, Now about spiritual gifts, brothers, I do not want you to be ignorant. You know that when you were pagans, somehow or other you were influenced and led astray to mute idols. Therefore I tell you that no one who is speaking by the Spirit of God says, Jesus be cursed, and no one can say Jesus is Lord except by the Holy Spirit. There are different kinds of gifts, but the same Spirit. There are different kinds of service, but the same Lord. There are different kinds of working, but the same God works all of them in all men. Now to each one... The manifestation of the Spirit is given for the common good. Every one who is a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, 
who is filled with his spirit has the manifestation of the spirit in them to accomplish what God wants to do. So let's take a look here at what the Apostle Paul is telling us. Number one, God wants you to know about spiritual gifts. Over the years, I've had people say, well, we shouldn't be seeking the gifts, and we shouldn't be focused on the gifts. And yet Paul tells us here, I want you to know about the gifts. There's nothing wrong with knowing about the gifts. Yes, you need to be focused on the giver and not the gift. You shouldn't be all wrapped up in, I mean, think about this. You know, it's like a little kid when... Uh, their mom or dad presents them with a gift, they grab the box, and they run, and they don't pay any attention to the giver at all. We excuse that in kids, but imagine if an adult did that. Okay, imagine you're out with somebody that you love, and they've invited you to lunch, and they bring a gift, and you go, this is awesome, and you run off to open it in the restroom. <laughs> a little strange, okay? So yeah, we don't want to focus on the gift, we want to focus on the giver, Okay? There's a truth, and it's very interesting. Simon the sorcerer is a great story in Acts chapter 8. He was more interested in getting the gift than he was in knowing God, wasn't he? As a matter of fact, he offered to pay money to get this gift of laying out of hands, imparting the Holy Spirit, and he came under a curse because of that. Peter sharply rebukes him. But know that our gifts are part of God's destiny for us, and he wants you to know what your gifts are and how to use them. Why? He wants you to be a blessing to people around you. These are like gifts that God gives. And I, I know Chronicles of Narnia is not a perfect Christian allegory, but I love the whole idea of the gifts that are given by Aslan and key parts in the story. Different people with different gifts use that particular gift to heal somebody or to win a victory or something like that. The whole point is God has given each of us unique gifts and he wants you out in the marketplace to be available to him, to be used, to be a blessing to the people around you. So if we ignore the gifts, we're actually ignoring part of our identity, part of who we are, part of who God wants us to be and how he wants to use us. So don't ignore the gifts. Don't be afraid of them. Paul says to his disciples, I don't want you to be ignorant. Paul also points out that the Corinthians were pagans before they came to Christ. What's he saying here? He said, you need to be aware that before you were Christians, you were spiritual in the wrong way. Now, this used to be in... Christian America, years ago, we're now in the post-Christian era, as historians tell us, uh, this seemed kind of strange, but I've got to tell you, many people that come to Christ today have been involved in the occult. You've been involved in uh, false spiritual uh, activities, people that have been everything from reading tarot cards to you know, different kinds of New Age stuff, witchcraft. Uh, when I first started dealing with stuff in my life, it was interesting. I thought, I'm glad I never did anything. And all of a sudden, I had this memory of being in a seance when I was a teenager and inviting spirits to come into the room. And I thought, whoa, Lord, where did that come from? And the Lord said, you need to repent of this. So we live in a world that's very unclean. And Paul is telling the Corinthians, he said, you need to be aware that there are other spirits out there. Many years ago, uh, there were a group of us that we, we went down, it was before Christmas time, to Public Square in Cleveland, and we were just talking to people about our faith in Christ um, and these were a bunch of students from Kent State, and we were praying together, and we were praying in the Holy Spirit, and as we were praying in tongues, this guy comes walking by, and he says, I can pray in tongues too, and he starts making this hideous noise and manifested a demon right there. It was a great start to the night. You can laugh there. It's okay. 
And uh, we just took authority in the name of Jesus and talked to him. And here this guy had opened the door and the enemy worked through him. I want you to know the enemy has false gifts. You need to understand there is a spiritual world that has similarity, the evil side and the good side. There are similarities there. Just like God gives anointing to pastors to proclaim the word, I believe the enemy of our souls, Satan and his demonic kingdom, gives gifts to rock stars to lead people astray from the Lord Jesus Christ. You want to talk about that? I am a former rock and roller, and I, I'll tell you, I, when I went back, as I came to the Lord and I started looking at some of the stuff that I listened to, I'm thinking about, for instance, Emerson, Lake, and Palmer, who takes the Anglican communion and takes part of it and turns it around in their songs. What's that all about? Rock yeah, rock concerts are worship, if you think about it. Thank you. Come on up, Janice. <laughs> Yeah, it's true. I mean, we need to understand that there are two spiritual kingdoms. And what Paul is warning us about is he said, now be careful because in the past, because you weren't discerning, you've been led astray to the dark side. You've been led astray to evil things. So you need to understand that nobody who is operating in the Spirit can say, Jesus, be cursed. You have to have the power of the Spirit to be able to say, Jesus is Lord. There's a break point. There's a a discerning of what is of God and what is not of God. I've literally seen people, and I'm going to take a moment on this because I think it's important. I've literally seen people come into this church over the years that have had the wrong spirit and they've tried to infiltrate our church. And during our prayer times, I've seen them go and they've given false prophecies. We call them parking lot prophets. Uh, and, you know, they kind of stalk people in the church. And I've had to, I've had to step up and say, uh, you can't do that here. I want this to be a safe place for the Holy Spirit to work in our hearts. That doesn't mean we're heavy-handed and we're on a witch hunt all the time looking for things to be wrong with people, but we need to be aware that we live in a world where there's a spiritual battle going on. Did I say enough there? And I'll talk more about that when we talk about discerning of spirits. We'll spend a little bit of time uh, breaking that down. So Paul's warning them. He says, don't give way to these strange spirits. There's a counterfeit out there. All of us have a past before we came to Christ. We need to purify our hearts and align with God to be used in a powerful way. One of the things we do, and we used to call it freedom class. We're calling it living free now with the new uh, DVDs that we have. But one of the things we do in that class is we seek to help people align their hearts with God and deal with the stuff in their past that can trip them up in the present. That's one of the things we want to do. So God gives his spirit to each believer purchased by the blood of Christ. The Holy Spirit lives within us. God is the distributor of the gifts. The Holy Spirit is the agent working in and through us. So as I've said, in a way, the gifts don't belong to us. We belong to God, and he works in us in the way that he wants us to work. So different kinds of gifts, but the same spirit. Different kinds of service, but the same Lord. There are different kinds of working, but the same God works all of them in all men. Can I tell you, don't look at others and how the gift operates in them. I mean, we can get ideas about how God works, but I know people that have the gift of healing. Some of them, the, the core of that healing gift, it's, it's partnered with the, in Romans 12, it's the gift of mercy or compassion. And I see out of compassion, God uses that compassion in the healing. There are other people that are used in various other ways. And all of us are different in the way that God uses us in the gifts. So don't compare yourself to other people. God has a way of using each one of us. 
Now, each person who has come to Christ is filled with the Holy Spirit and can be used in any of the gifts of the Spirit at any time. Verse 7 says, Now to each one the manifestation of the Spirit is given for the common good. These gifts are not just meant to benefit the person, they are meant for, for what the common good. They're meant for the church, they're meant for the people out there that are hurting. I mean, how many people around you need somebody to come up to them and say, you know, I, this may sound really strange to you, but I pray for people here where we work, and I was just getting this impression about you. It, it's amazing. It can happen anywhere. It can happen anytime. It can happen any place. It's happened to me in the library. It's happened to me in grocery stores. It's happened to me in different places where the Lord has given me something for somebody. So it's for the common good. Now, what does it mean? We're going to take just a few moments, about 15 minutes this morning. We're going to talk about what does it mean that God has given each person the manifestation of the Spirit. Let's go back to Acts chapter 2. If you turn in your Bible, if you have your Bible there. Jesus told his disciples in Acts chapter 1, he spent time with them after his resurrection. He walked with them over a number of days. It says for 40 days he was with his disciples. It was such an amazing time. As many as 500 believers publicly were with Jesus in one place at one time. This is kind of a scandal for the uh, people of the day who didn't believe in the resurrection. But near the end of his time, Jesus brings his disciples together and he says, I want you to wait in Jerusalem because I'm going to send the promise that the Father wants to give you. He is going to baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. What does that mean? Okay, now these people that Jesus was talking to were already believers. The Holy Spirit already lived in them. They had been purchased by the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. But Jesus was telling them there's a moment coming when the Holy Spirit is going to come upon you. And Jesus says in Acts 1.7, he says, you will be filled with the Spirit, you will be endued with power from on high. The word uh, power there is dunamis. It's a word that means dynamic, dynamo, dynamite. These are all words that come from that word dunamis. It's a divine enabling to live and be who God has called us to be. But it's also the power of the supernatural. It was Jesus' intention from the beginning of time that everybody that followed him would also walk in the same gifts and the same anointing, doing the same works that Jesus did when he was here on the earth. Yeah, he says even greater things. By the way, one of the interpretations of that verse, I have people participating today. This is good. This is, I like this, give and take. But one of the interpretations of that verse, even greater things, means that instead of just one man filled with the Spirit, Jesus, the Son of God, now there are millions that are all over doing the same thing he did. Think about this. All of a sudden, little Johnny and little Peter that have been walking with Jesus, not sure whether they really believe what he's saying all this time. The Spirit of God falls on them and they're totally different people. I mean, they, they had this thing going on all the time. You know, Jesus, you know, no, no you're not going to go to the cross. That's not going to happen. You think about some of the things that, that his disciples said. And they all fled from him before he was crucified, all of his disciples took off running. And then only about 40, 50 days later, here they are on the day of Pentecost, and they're willing to lay their life on the line, and they, are, they don't fear anybody. Peter and John tell the Sanhedrin, they say, 
hey, you guys can do whatever you want. You choose whether it's right to follow you or to follow God. But as for us, we're going to follow the Lord. We're going to do what he's called us to do. We're supposed to obey the authorities, but when the authorities disagree with Jesus, then we have to follow Jesus. But we also have to be willing to pay the cost of what that means when we do that. And the power of God falls upon the church, and all of a sudden, it's not just the apostles, it's not just those that were his inner circle, but it's a guy like Ananias who's sitting in his house, and the Lord speaks to him supernaturally. So there's this guy named Saul. He's been persecuting the church. He's in a house over on Straight Street. You need to go down there, lay hands on him. I'm going to heal him and tell him what his job is. He was a nobody. And I don't mean to be nasty about Ananias, but what I'm pointing out is God has an assignment for every one of us. I've always always wondered, thinking in the 20th century, Billy Graham has uh, undoubtedly one of the greatest men of God. But who was the farmer from Tennessee that heard to start praying for Billy Graham and that prayer meeting of men and witnessed to him and share the good news with him? Doesn't he have the same harvest? See, every one of us has a job to do. Don't worry about being on the stage. Just obey what God has told you to do and do what he wants you to do. But everyone, it's, it's the intention of Jesus. Now, this is what makes some people in some Christian traditions nervous. Those gifts are not for today, right? What does it say in the Bible? It's very interesting. We're gonna, in, in Acts chapter 2, when the Holy Spirit falls, and the people say, what do we do? They say, Peter, you're right. Now what do we do? We did kill Jesus. He is the Son of God. He says, repent, be baptized, and receive this gift of the Holy Spirit. This is the context. And this gift is for, this is for you, for your children, and your children's children as far off as the Lord God will call. There is nowhere in the Bible that said, okay, we're going to start this way in the supernatural, but somewhere in the second century, we're going to shift to an institutional model of Christianity where we're going to send people to seminaries to learn how to speak Greek and Hebrew. And I'm not, I'm not against seminaries, but I will tell you this. You don't learn to do ministry in the context. You heard what I said last week when I talked about the gift of pastor. 57% of pastors said seminary did nothing to prepare them for ministry. Hello? God wants us to be walking in the same things. And we're fighting a battle because there's a spirit of unbelief. And one of the main reasons there's a spirit of unbelief is the church in the United States and the church in Europe, even before us, the church in the West, has had a spirit of unbelief that has turned Christianity into something it was never meant to be. And I agree with Francis Chan. If you found a Bible on a desert island and read it and then went to a Christian country, you'd go, where are these people that Jesus walked with? Our lives should be the kind of lives where we get up in the morning and we don't know what God is going to do next. When you walk with the Holy Spirit, anything can happen. I told you the story from many years ago. Some of you have been here for a while like me, so you'll hear stories again. But when I was a student at Kent State, I prayed the most amazing prayer. I said, Lord, it's been a very boring day. I'm sitting outside of my English class, and I have a Hindu professor. And uh, I'm reading the Bible. And I said, Lord, it's been so boring. Why don't you do something exciting? And I go into the class, and I'm still reading my little paperback Bible. And the class got quiet, and I didn't notice. I was so wrapped up in reading the Scripture. And my Hindu professor, who's a really sweet guy, okay, but he looks down at me, he goes, what are you reading there, young man? It's the whole front of the whole class. And I said, the Bible. He said, why do you need a crutch like that? 
I don't know why I said this. It just came out of me. I said, I'd rather be hobbling down the road on a crutch than laying in a ditch helpless. He said, all right, you've got 20 minutes to explain to the class why you read the Bible and why you believe this stuff. So there was my Bible. There was the class. It was one, I said, man, that prayer was answered fast. So when the class is over, I, one of my friends, Rob, is in the class. And Rob is like the typical party guy from North Olmstead, from Cleveland, you know, and he was just a funny, and we're walking back. He says, the whole time you were talking, I was shaking. He said, I'm still shaking. He said, what's going on? He said, there's something real about what you said. I said, do you want to talk about it? He says, yeah, I'm really shook up. I said, evidently, okay? So God does stuff like that. Can I give you a challenge this week? I'm going to give you homework even before I finish the message. Wake up in the morning and say, Lord, I know that your Holy Spirit lives in me. If you belong to Christ, say this. Say, Lord, what do you want to do today that's beyond the normal? And I'll tell you, he'll put you in over your head. My parents would tell you many, many years ago before Janice, well, even when you met me, I was one of the shyest guys on the planet. And then one day, I was sitting in my study lounge at Kent State, and I made a covenant with the Lord. I said, Lord, before I study my other stuff, biology and all that stuff, I want to uh, just take, I want to read three chapters of scripture. That was just kind of a, a thing, I, a dedication I meant to the Lord. So I'm sitting there reading, and as I'm reading, all I can say is, I felt like I ate a joy sandwich. I mean, this joy just started welling up in me. Did you ever feel this way? I mean, all of a sudden you feel light and this joy is there. And a, a problem of all problems, my roommate, who I just led to the Lord, is sitting on the other side of the study lounge. And I made eye contact with him and both of us busted out laughing at the same time. We just started laughing. And the next thing I knew, I was speaking another language. And there were 20 other guys in the study lounge. And they all got up and looked at us and backed out the door and walked out. Now, I've got to tell you, if you're going to walk with God, you're not going to fit into the world, and you need to get over it right now. If you want to walk with the Lord, and by the way, I wouldn't endorse what I did, because I don't think that was a necessary light, but I was such a, it was just an innocent thing. It was just the joy of the Lord. And Joe and I, we were just jumping up and down, we're dancing around, and I mean, it was just an amazing thing. And, you know, I, I just, so the next, we had this Bible study that met every week. And we would get like three or four guys. The funny thing is, when we first started, they were all Jewish. They were, all my friends were Jewish, you know, and they were all there. The next time we had a Bible study, 20 people showed up. And they came, they came into our room. They said, what happened in the study lounge? <laughs> they said, did you explain to us? And Joe and I sat there with the Bible. We're brand new Christians, and we're reading, you know, out of Acts chapter 1 and Acts chapter 2. And this whole group, our Bible study was never the same. We need to get over our fear, and we need to enter into the joy zone and be who God. The world is so full of people that are uptight religious people. God doesn't want us to be uptight religious people. He wants us to be joyful, free, people that love, people that are full of the fruit of the Spirit, people that, say, people that will say things about us like, man, that guy is really cool. There's something about them. I want to be like them. I want to, I want to have what they have. This is making sense? So in Acts 2, it says, When the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all together in one place. They had obeyed the Lord. For ten days they had been praying. And it says, And suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind, and it filled the entire house where they were sitting. 
and divided tongues as a fire appeared to them and rested on each of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Now there were dwelling in Jerusalem Jews, devout men from every nation under heaven. I think I counted 17 nations that are mentioned here in Acts 2. And at this sound, the multitude came together and they were bewildered because each one was hearing them speak in his own language. They were amazed and astonished, saying, Are not all these who are speaking Galileans? And how is it that we hear each of us in his own native language? Parthians, Medes, Elamites, residents of Mesopotamia, Judea, and all these different nations that are represented here. I looked them up on the map one day. It covers most of the, uh, of the world at that time, most of the known uh, world. Both Jews and proselytes, Cretans and Arabians, we hear them telling in our own tongues the mighty works of God. And all were amazed and perplexed, saying to one another, what does this mean? So we might ask the same question today. What is going on here? What does this mean? But others mocking said, ah, they're filled with new wine. There's always somebody around to try to explain things in their own terms and whatever. And they say, ah, these guys are just drunk. What happens here? So Peter says, these people are not drunk as you suppose, but this is what was uttered through the prophet Joel. Peter says what's happening here today was prophesied by Joel. Now Joel lived about 600 years before this happened. And Peter references Joel chapter 2. Pentecost, let me, let me explain what's happening here. Pentecost was a major feast. It was a major feast in this season. It was one of the three main feasts that God gave the nation of Israel. And at this time, people would come from all over the world that were Jewish because the Jews had been scattered. Remember, by all these invasions, there was the diaspora, and they're all over the world. They come back for this time because they had to be at the temple to worship. So all these people come into town. Some people say Jerusalem went from about 100,000 people to over a million people, and they would live in all the towns around like Bethlehem, and they were filled up. Can you imagine God's divine timing? Now, Pentecost was a feast that celebrated the beginning of the wheat harvest. But what's happening here is not the wheat harvest. This is the beginning of the harvest of the souls of men and women from every nation, tribe, and language. What's happening here is the beginning of the church. And God is making a point in the beginning of the church to say, this is going to be made up of people of all languages. If you go back to Genesis 10 and 11, we see the story of Babel where all the people are of one language. And it says, because they all spoke the same language, they were set upon one evil intent. So God came down and, and scattered their languages. It's very interesting. Seventy nations are mentioned there, and people just kind of navigate to different parts of the world. Here on the day of Pentecost, the Lord is saying, by one spirit, my gospel is going to be proclaimed to every nation on earth. Do you see the sign of what God is doing here? What happened when the Holy Spirit came? There was a sound like the blowing of a violent wind. It doesn't say it was a violent wind. It said that was the best terminology they could find. Has anybody ever been in a meeting like that where that's happened? I have. They saw what appeared to be flames of fire, and the flames of fire separated and appeared over the head of each person. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit, and they began to speak in other languages. Now, this is what scares people. They go, do I have to speak in tongues? No, but you get to. I'll tell you what the real issue is. The real issue is I don't want to lose control. I don't want to lose control. 
my roommate that I mentioned from Kent State, uh, Joe, he went on to uh, go to Bible school and then to seminary. He became a missionary to Scotland. And um, many of the people that we, we had a revival at Kent State during that season, and many of those young men and women were sent all over the world. Some of them are still serving in different countries. But Joe told me, he said, you know, he said for years, he said, I wanted to speak in tongues like they did in Acts chapter 2 so badly. And he said, I would, I would be praying and the presence of the Lord would come down and these words would come into my head, but I thought God was going to force me and make me say them. He said, I didn't realize that I had to step out by faith and speak the words that I was hearing. When he did, two years later, they just began to rush like a torrent, okay? Now, I don't believe necessarily everybody that's filled with the Spirit will speak in tongues right away. It's a wonderful gift to have because often when I don't know how to pray, I pray in tongues. When I don't know what to pray for because the Holy Spirit is praying through me, okay? But what did this mean to a first century Jew? What did they know about the Holy Spirit? If they thought about the things that happened from the time of Moses all the way back through their history, every time the presence of God came, there was fire. What about the fire that came down in the Holy of Holies and consumed the sacrifice? What about the wind of the Spirit that blew and separated, divided the Red Sea so the people of Israel could go through? The word for Holy Spirit in Hebrew is ruach. It's holy wind. It's the God you can't see, but is very powerful and shows up. Okay? So on this day, all of a sudden, there are little flames of fire that appear over each person's head. People say, well, why don't we see those today? Because God probably doesn't want you to compare flame sizes and colors. It's just my theory. Okay? I'm being a little funny there, but you know. Imagine what would happen. I've said this before, but what if your pastor got up on a Sunday morning to speak and his flame was out? The pilot light is not lit on Pastor Joe today. There's a problem here, okay? The Lord was giving these people a very clear sign that that same glory of God that manifested in the temple, the people were afraid to go near. That same fire that came down on the mountain when God gave the law to Moses, that same presence was now over each person. And I think that day he was giving a sign to the people of Israel. The Shekinah glory of God has now been released in my church, in my people, and I want that same spirit that was once inside the temple now to be released into all the earth. But how is it released? It's the fire of God in each one of us. Remember what happened when Jesus said it's finished on the cross? There was this curtain that was ripped from top to bottom. Now, we, we think of it like a shower curtain, you know. How many of you can rip a shower curtain? Some of them are pretty tough. Tom can, I know that, okay. There are secrets on how to do it. This curtain was about four to five inches thick of woven wool. Think you could rip that? I can't even get my hands around that. And it was ripped. Guess how high it was? 30, it was about 30 feet high. What was the Lord saying? He was saying, we don't need the Holy of Holies anymore. He said, because the blood of my son Jesus has made the way for the Holy Spirit to come and fill each of our hearts. And the altar that used to be in the Holy of Holies in the temple is where? Right here. Now I want you to grasp this. I want you to think about this. 
Religious people have one delusion, and it's based on this. God can't see me. Is it true? See, if I'm in a holy place, God's there. But when I walk out of the church building, good thing God can't see me, because I'm going to do some really bad stuff. I've got news for you. If you think, we, we talked about this in the men's group yesterday. You can read about it in 2 Kings chapter 6. God was the original wiretapper. He's revealing to Elisha the prophet what the king of Aram is saying in his bedroom. And the king of Aram goes, how do they know this stuff? Because Obama tapped his lines. No, <laughs> I had to say it. <laughs> it's because God revealed stuff. You think that intelligence agencies and gathering agencies are people to worry about. Do you think people like Google and Facebook that are gathering stuff on you, God knows stuff you're going to do even before you do it. He knows the thoughts and intents of your heart. And he loves us still. And he wants us to be holy. So my Sunday school teacher from sixth grade that said, now when you go watch a movie, just pretend like Jesus is sitting next to you. Would you want to go watch that movie? And later it hit me. It's not as if. He is living in me. Everything I do as a man of God is bringing the Lord Jesus in as a partner. Do you know why I want to be holy? Because there's a God who loves me so much. I never want to do anything to grieve him. And he wants to live in me by his Holy Spirit. Constant contact with a living God. Wherever you go, you bring your covenant partner, the Lord, with you. This is what God's presence is all about. Is this hitting you, folks? So I, we're just we're going to close now, we're gonna, and we'll finish the rest of this next week. But I hope this excites you. It's an amazing thing. There's not a, I can say this. There's not a moment in my life when I'm not aware of God. Even in the middle of the night, I wake up and I'm talking to the Lord. His presence is there with me. When I get up in the morning, it's like, good morning, Lord. Here we go. He's right there with me. When I'm driving, I don't have to turn on stuff on the radio all the time. Sometimes I do. It's okay. But the Lord is there with me. I can talk to him. Does this make sense? I feel like the Lord is saying this. Before we start talking about the gifts, we need to talk about this idea of God's abiding presence in us. He wants us to understand his abiding presence in us. And he wants us to be holy. Can we stand together? I just want to close with prayer. Can we just ask the Lord to make us aware of his presence? And I would say this, if you have not received that anointing, we're going to talk more about this next week. It doesn't happen automatically. You need to seek the Lord and say, Lord, I want what they had in Acts chapter 2. You may say, I've been a Christian. I know the Spirit dwells in me. I believe that. When we're saved, the Spirit of God comes to live in us. But he tells us we need to be filled with the Holy Spirit again and again. And I'm going to show you next week that that's what the church did. It once wasn't enough. Don't tell me you were filled with the Spirit 20 years ago. I want to know if you are full of the Spirit right now. This is what the Lord wants us to live in, this reality. Can we just lift our hands to the Lord? For those that feel comfortable enough to do that, just lift your hands up to him. You know what it's like when a child wants you to pick them up. 
And they lift their hands and they look up with those eyes like, please pick me up. I want to be closer to you. This is what we're doing to the Lord right now. And say, Lord, here I am. Lord, we just want more of you. And we want to be everything that you have called us to be. Forgive us, Lord, for what we've made the church. And forgive us, Lord, sometimes for the religious ideas we come up with, the foolish things that you can't see us when we're in certain places. Lord, you love us so much. It's just amazing. We want to walk by your design. We want to be filled with your Holy Spirit. We want more of you, God. We want to walk with a constant awareness that you are with us and that you want to accomplish things in our lives and through our lives. We want to walk in the joy, O oh Lord, that is so astounding. It changes the way that we look. It changes the way that we live. Instead of being fearful people, always thinking about ourselves, that we're filled with your joy, able to love the people around us, able to do the things that you've called us to do. We just offer ourselves up to you. Thinking about Romans 12, 1, it says, uh, just offer your lives as a living sacrifice. This is your spiritual worship. It's not just the words we do, but it's offering ourselves to him, our service to him, saying, Lord, work in me. It's what Steve said earlier in the service. It's not just me controlling my religious destiny, but it's me saying to God, God, here I am. I abandon myself to you. This is where the Lord wants us to start. Can we just say that to him in your own way? Lord, I give myself to you. We abandon ourselves to you, Lord. You are the mighty captain of the host of heaven. You are the head of the church. Lord, just come and do in us everything that you want to do in the name of Jesus Christ. Thank you, Lord.